Aloha, everyone, and welcome to the Hawaii Shoots podcast called How Do You Shoot That? The podcast that tries to answer some questions about filmmaking and photography here in Hawaii. I'm Brad Watanabe, and this is my good friend, Jen Liu. Today we're talking about Filmmaking 101, some kind of tips and intro information on how to get started with filmmaking. I kind of, you know, for me, I really want to know like more of like an overview because I know there's a lot of different pieces. It's not just the storytelling that we talked about before, um, but I know there's stuff with like lighting, um, audio, and like other stuff to make it amazing. When we first start with any production here at B-Rad Studio, I think one of the first things we end up doing is mapping out what exactly we're trying to accomplish. So we figure out what our goals are. And this goes back to pre-production. Before we start anything, we, we figure out what our end goals are so we can properly prepare for the project. Um, the worst thing you can do is get to set and not know what you're shooting, why you're shooting it, or what it's going to be used for. So all that pre-production that we've kind of discussed before um, kind of, I think, comes before everything. So once we have that, let's just say we're shooting a brand video for a company. Uh, we go through and we figure out what are some of the brand standards, typography, color palette, um, if it's a luxury brand versus a, um, a more trendy brand or something like that. And we'll figure all of those things out so that we can determine even from there what types of cameras we'll use, what types of motion we'll use. Um, and so it's not quite as simple as like, I, I actually get the question all the time, hey, if I'm going to pick up a camera, what should I buy? And, and usually it comes for me with a lot of caveats. Mm -hmm. um, it depends on what you're shooting, how you're shooting it. Do you need slow motion? Do you need 4K? Um, what is your ultimate output? If you're shooting for America, it actually has a different standard than if you're shooting for like Europe. So all of these things kind of come into play, and that's all a part of the pre-production um, process, figuring out what your end goal is so that you can have the right tools. Mm. Um, camera is always, I think, the first question. So um, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can go. A lot of people for the past few years have been using DSLR cameras. The 5D Mark II came out, I don't know, five years ago or so, maybe a little bit more. and that kind of changed the way we, we shoot as consumers invading the professional industry. Mm -hmm. um, a few years back, mirrorless cameras came out. Sony came out with a huge amount of technology allowing consumers to shoot really high quality, dynamic, um, professional looking 4K video, slow motion options, all of these things. I have a question. What does mirrorless mean? Like, what, what is that compared to, like, a, a normal camera? So I have in my hands right now a Nikon D7000. Um, it's been on the market for a little while, and it is uh, classified as a DSLR. Most people just kind of use that acronym as any camera that you can remove lenses from. But uh, back in the day, when we're shooting on film, you had a camera called an SLR. Photography has been around for a long time, and SLR stands for Single Lens Reflex. Uh, there was always a mirror mechanism inside the camera that would allow you to see what 
the lens was actually capturing. You look through an eyepiece, there's a mirror that refracts the light that's actually coming through your lens. And so in a, an SLR, there was always a mirror mechanism there to see what you're mm -hmm. shooting. A digital SLR, a DSLR also has that same technology. It's just a digital version of what was being shot on film. A few years back, uh, they came out with a technology that no longer has that mirror in place, allowing you to view exactly what's coming through your lens. So there's no longer like that, not a delay, but this refracted Im image that you're looking at. With film photography, what would happen is you would be viewing the inverse of your image. Mm -hmm. Everything was upside down because mm -hmm. you're looking at it uh, from a mirror. So is actually this zigzagging effect to see what, what's actually coming through your eyepiece. So with this mirrorless stuff, it's actually taken out that, which allows your cameras to be a lot smaller, mm. a lot lighter. And so you, don't, you actually don't have uh, another layer of hardware that can get either damaged or anything. So it simplifies technology a little bit. Um, also allowing for some of the costs to come a little bit down. Cool. So that's what mirrorless is in kind of a nutshell. Okay, cool. I always wondered why does Sony have like smaller camera and then you have Canon, which is like, I can barely put my hands around it, you yep. know, so. Yeah, so if you were to actually open this thing up mm -hmm. and you take a look, you actually see the mirror. Mm -hmm. So these all have this mirror, whereas with these guys you have no mirror. That's the actual sensor. That's cool. So one thing that the mirror actually did was it protected your sensor from getting dusty as well. Mm. But now you have to be a lot more careful because your sensor is exposed as soon as you start changing lenses. Oh, wow. It also made it so that your lens had to be a certain distance away from that mirror to mm. get the optics right. So all of that changed when the mirrorless technology kind of invaded the space. But if you look at it, um, Sony, Panasonic, Olympus, Fuji have all been in the mirrorless um, game for a while. Sony's DSLR technology is completely overshadowed by their mirrorless technology. The mirrorless stuff sells way more than their DSLR. Uh, Canon, there was a rumor that just came out recently of a new mirrorless camera that they're coming out with. It's, it's actually slowed down a lot of their innovation because they still have this mirror technology that they need to work within um, for like their, their consumer and their professional SLR and DSLR cameras. And they can't, they won't innovate fast enough because it kind of hurts their DSLR line, mm -hmm. like as you've seen with Sony. Yeah. Um, if their mirrorless line grows too fast, so I think they have the capability and the technology to actually kill the mirrorless game, but I think it would hurt their DSLR line way mm -hmm. too much. Mm -hmm. So I think they're afraid of that. That's very, very... Personal opinion. Yeah. I could, I could totally see that from a business standpoint. Yeah. So you got the gear. So, so that's camera. Yeah, camera. Um, one of the first things that people ask is, which camera do I buy? There's so many to choose from, either Nikon, Canon, Sony, Panasonic, Olympus, all of these other brands making some amazing technology. I think my first suggestion to people these days is I love the Panasonic GH4. I've done a vlog and a couple of different um, tech episodes on that. Well, and 
The reason I really, really like the GH4 camera is because I really like, I've always liked Panasonic's color science and it's quite cheap for the amount of technology you get. You get a 4K camera um, that is super light and compact. You can get a really, really great bundle of lenses and camera body in a, in a small camera kit. The batteries last all day and you can get a nice 4K image, um, a great slow motion uh, image at HD. Mm -hmm. And since most people are still distributing even broadcast, right, um, HD, not 4K, you can do a lot with an HD image. Cool. So the Panasonic GH4 is a camera that I suggest to a lot of people just getting started. Uh, Sony is great. It's got a lot of technology, a lot of great uh, features built in, but the image is a little bit harder to work with, or it can be. Um, and it's got a menu system that's really, really deep and cumbersome. So learning that can be a little complicated in itself. Uh, I still love Canon because their color science to me is my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, I've never really played around with Nikon for video, but um, Canon is still a strong competitor for, for that game. The first lens I would buy is probably one of the kit lenses just to kind of learn on. There's a lot of great kit lenses with image stabilization allowing you to get a really stable image just by hand holding it. And um, every single manufacturer makes a pretty decent kit lens for uh, that'll come with, with the body. So mm. you've got the camera, you've got Kay. the gear, and then I know that there's so many different types of microphones and there's like a boom mic. I hear all these like names are thrown out, but like what's things to consider when you're buying okay. a mic or if you do you even need one? I don't know. Yeah. Camera is super duper important. It's obviously the thing that captures the image. So you want something that's really user friendly, that's light and nimble so that as you're getting started, you're not getting weighed down by a bunch of lenses and all of these things. You also don't want to have something that has so many options that it confuses you and makes you not want to shoot. Uh, but aside from cameras, I think one of the most undervalued topic of conversation is audio. People are so interested in learning how to make things look pretty, they forget that you have to tell a story along with it. So the second purchase I always um, suggest is a great shotgun mic to have on camera. What's a shotgun mic? Which one is that one? What does that look like? So a shotgun <laughs> mic, uh, if, you, if you think about what a shotgun is, mm -hmm. right? it's a very specific uh, weapon meant to shoot at long distances in a very specific direction. Mm -hmm. um, it's not nimble like, like a revolver or, or like a small pistol. It's meant to actually shoot in a particular direction at long range. So a shotgun mic is also the same way. It points in one direction and it's very, very um, narrow in its mic pickup pattern. Mm -hmm. So it's trying to get just what's in front of you. It's trying to reject all of the ambient sounds around. Uh, I've been using the Rode VideoMic Pro for, gosh, four or five years. The first one that I bought, there's just like a rubber band system that gives you some shock protection. Uh, when, you know, when wind comes or when you're running around, there is a little bit of forgiveness so that you're not getting all this rattling noise. Mm -hmm. the, the bands broke and uh, Rode actually has a 10 year warranty. So sent it in, got a brand new one. Wow. 
Wow. Love Road for 180 bucks. It's probably one of the best investments when you're first starting out that you can make. It offers you really great audio quality, really small footprint for a microphone. And I use it with all of the small mirrorless DSLR cameras that we use all the way up to the red that we use on a regular basis because it picks up great natural sound. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, what about lighting? Like, do you, when you're like filming something, do you need to bring those like sun tanning things? Like, how does that work? I just see it, you know, in the movies, and I have no idea. You know, there's there's a lot of philosophy based on lighting and how you light and why you light and all of these different considerations because we have to add light to make something uh, visible mm -hmm. to the to the camera. When you first start off, the tendency is going to be to add as much light to a subject as possible to make sure that everything is exposed so that the camera can see it. Mm -hmm. As you start to mature in your aesthetic, in your taste, you start to understand how lighting can affect the mood of your image, the storytelling, the narrative of what you do. And there's a lot of instances where we can't light. When you're going into a, a documentary situation where you're capturing moments that are happening in real time, you don't have the ability necessarily to be like, hey, stop real quick. Let me set up a light so we can make this look better. You, otherwise, you'd lose the entire integrity of the message, the moment. Uh, so learning how to shoot in natural light is my favorite part of what I do now. So it's not necessarily looking for how I can light something better. It's how I can find the best lighting conditions, the way it looks with the naked eye. If we have the time to set up lights, we will. And there's often uh, instances where we know we will need lights, whether it's an interview with somebody or um, when we're setting up a commercial shoot where we have the luxury of time and the ability to stage a scene mm -hmm. with the proper lighting conditions. But lighting is something that I think you'll only continue to mature in as long as you continue in this profession. Um, and it's not only the addition of light, it's also the, the subtraction of light because um, a, an image is made more dynamic when you understand how much the light affects your image as well as the shadow affects your image. So we often do this little demonstration of how we just take a flashlight and we put it on the top of our head and then we put it on the side of our head and we put it on the bottom of our head and we see how that lighting actually affects how you feel about that person. And what it's doing is it's not only adding light to that particular part, but it's creating a lot of shadows in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how that changes the way you set up your, your scene or how you um, uh, create your, the, the mood for your subjects is, is really heavily based on the shadow side rather than just on the light side. So like in, if you were to say in order of importance, would it be the camera, the audio, or lighting, or there's everything is important, or how, how would you rank that? I think they're all equally important. What a lot of directors will do when they walk into a scene or, or walk on set is actually just go and walk into a room with nothing on them and just observe what's there. Mm. You know, you, you try to 
assess your, your location, see where the natural light is coming from. You try to listen to where all of the ambient sounds are. Uh, you try to assess what kind of lenses you might need. That's where what we call a location scout is really important, super valuable, because you get to experience your location before you actually go and shoot in it. That's, a, that's all a part of pre-production. Mm -hmm. Because when you do that, you, you, you have the chance to experience what it'll be like on your shoot day. Until you actually know that you're kind of running, hoping that you're gonna get the ideal um, atmosphere mm -hmm. to, to create the, the mood or the story you want. But what always happens is you're bringing more gear than you need. Because you're hoping uh, hoping for the best, expecting the worst, so you always have to plan for more. Okay. Yeah. So they're they're all equally important, but um, it depends on what you're doing as well. If you're if you're a director, you're going to be looking for how the scene will shape your storyline. If you're a cinematographer, you're looking for how the light is affecting um, the environment. If you're a sound guy, obviously you're you're listening to how any bogeys will interrupt your, your audio takes, but all are super important. So, you know, for you, I know that um, you do a lot of your work and you have some people helping you, but like say there's someone like me, a marketing person that needs to do it all. I need to be in charge of sound, use my iPhone and all those things. Do you have any suggestions or tips like pro tip, good luck tip? I think more than anything, just Learning what each tool does. Um, the iPhone is, is a ridiculously amazing piece of technology. It's got a great lens on there. It's got a, a decent sensor. You can, you can create some beautiful images and capture some great, great things. I mean, there's so many people creating content on the iPhone these days. And it, it really goes back again to who your audience is, what your purpose is, all of that. There are people making little short features um, shorts and features with the iPhone. People doing marketing content. I mean, Apple has done billboards shot mm -hmm. on the iPhone. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not necessarily the tool, it's the application. It's the output. So if there was a pro tip, it would be to go and learn what it is that you're trying to create. I think it's, it, that, that's a really bad answer <laughs> because it's not practical. Um, I know that most people want like, okay, what's the best camera to get? Like, because that's a very practical, I can go out and buy this and this will make me better. The, 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 the truth is that's not how this works. Um, there was, it might have been on F-Stoppers. There was an article a couple of months ago and it, it was, they gave the top pro camera to an amateur and they gave the, the basic camera with a kit lens to a professional to see which images would, would be better mm -hmm. every time the professional won. It's because they had the experience to know what looked good, mm -hmm. um, how to create an image, how to create dynamic stories based off of this imagery. And, and it was, I mean, the, the tool in the hands of, of a professional I mean, the, the common analogy is you give like Michelangelo a piece of graphite and he'll outdraw anybody with the best 
MacBook Pro out there because it's about the artist, not about the tool. Yep. And the artist will win every single time. <clears throat> so just to practice more, I'm hearing. It's, it's practice more, but it's, it's to think um, a lot more critically about what it is that we're trying to accomplish first. Mm -hmm. um, because then we can, we can find the right tools to accomplish that task. Even if it's at first, bring on a friend mm -hmm. to help you shoot it. Because then you can say, um, hey Brad, I've got this video. Can you come and help me shoot it uh, so that I can learn how you would do it? Mm -hmm. So rather than you having to like figure out all of the like problem solve kind of throughout which camera or whatever, you can actually see how somebody who's a professional would attack the same situation. So you can actually learn by experience rather than having to like just struggle through it. I feel like that's a, a faster way to learn mm -hmm. than buying a camera and trying to shoot your way through it. Because I feel like that's the solution that most people go for. Okay, you guys, you heard it here. Don't go and buy the most expensive camera just because you can. Because yeah. you won't get the best product after. Well, okay, so what about, say, you're busy, you're mm. on another shoot, and I put together a video. How much would it help to have you or a professional review it? Would that help at all? Or is that like, you know what I mean? Like the opposite, where it's like, you're busy, I'm going to film it. Could you give me feedback about what could be better or what could? Sure. I mean, if it's a project that has a deadline, a client, and a very um, a specific end goal, then sometimes you may not have time to go through that, that critical process of critique. Um, because a lot of the times, the critique will mean going back to reshoot. So if you have the ability to do that, then yeah, as much criticism as you can possibly stomach is, is a good thing. Okay. Um, I'll reshare what Gary Vaynerchuk always says. Okay. He says, if you're just trying to get into this industry, or any industry for that matter, if it's marketing, if it's social media, if it's you know web or design or, or video, Rather than going out and building your own business from scratch, go and intern for somebody who's doing it. Because then, you know, I mean, don't, don't stop building your business on the side. But if you go and you get to experience somebody who's doing it every single day, um, even if you're not getting paid for it, even if you have to pay them for it, you think about how much we spend on college these days mm -hmm. to learn from people who are professionals in mm -hmm. their industry and you spend four years of your life spending money doing that. If you could go for free, intern for somebody else, you would get a world of education that you would never get trying to hack it on your own. Totally agree. And, and I feel like that's the best kind of um, education hack I can possibly think of. Because then you're not struggling through Hopefully, you're not having to go out and buy your own cameras. You're not having to go out and buy your own microphones. You actually get to see what professionals use, why they make those decisions, and make educated decisions for what you would want to invest in. You get to see what the pros are for the high-end stuff and the cons are for the low-end stuff real quickly. And you get to also see, sometimes it's not about buying and owning your own gear. Renting is a great option. We've got some you know, great options on island as well as online. So renting a camera and a lens for a weekend might be a better way to invest that hundred dollars than spending that three grand on that high quality setup that you're hoping would 
fix all your problems. So in this industry, it's a really, really big, really, really expensive industry to get into. Mm -hmm. Directors of photography, cinematographers, most of the time will rent all of their gear because, I mean, the lens kits that they're using cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's not something that people own. So it is the habit of most professionals to rent stuff on a regular basis. But because technology is cheap enough mm -hmm. to be just within reach, if you stretch for most people, consumers, prosumers, professionals, we've gotten into this um, pattern of, okay, I want to own it then. It's, it's so much, um, it makes sense to try to own it if I want to do it big. Mm -hmm. But, you know, renting is a great option to start. Those are some really, really awesome tips. So to recap, renting gear is to try it out, interning to learn more, and then what other stuff? That audio, sound, and the gear are all equally important. Yeah. Those are some really good tips. And just really learning to be a good observer. Mm -hmm. um, problem solving. Problem solving is what we do every single day. Any other questions? Or? No. This, this was really helpful. I mean, yeah. I think this is a good start for me to think about, you know, not just practicing, but just, you know, observing more of other people, my other friends that go out and shoot. The production industry is actually one that I think is better suited in for, like, community rather than for individuals. It's a team effort. It, it always has been since the beginning of this industry. You needed a bunch of people to make great mm -hmm. work. But we, we kind of are in this time where everybody wants to do their own thing. They right want to now. try it their self. Yeah, got to do it now, got to do it myself. But I mean, just asking friends, collaborating with mm -hmm. people, it's, it's what this industry was built on and I think it's the only way that we get better. So if you go to Hawaii shoots and connect with people there. You definitely can, yeah. Always fun chatting with you, Jen. Always fun chatting with you, Brad. If you enjoyed this episode and want more of Hawaii shoots, Make sure you check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hawaii Shoots um, and at underscore Hawaii Shoots on the gram. But make sure you connect with us and leave us some suggestions and comments because we'd love to connect with you very, very soon. If you want to connect with me personally, I am at Brad Watanabe on the socials. I am Lu on the socials. And until next time, we will see you later. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha.